Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. All right. Um, we've been going through the book of Philippians in the New Testament, a letter that Paul wrote to a church in a city called Philippi, and we're going to continue on that series today. Uh, the name of our series is Take Heart. It's all about being encouraged in the midst of suffering and difficulty. And this is actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote while he was in prison. He was in prison for the faith. He was preaching Jesus, and it caused him to be arrested and put into prison. And from that prison, he wrote a number of letters. And today's message is simply this. Jesus alone is your salvation and prize. You know, I've noticed something over the years, and that is that human beings like us are experts at self-justification. You ever notice this? You ever notice how we can take any story to make ourselves look good and twist it around? And uh, I, I, was, I was reading this, and it really cracked me up. It's from Campus Life magazine. These are strange but true auto-accident report descriptions. Okay, so these are written to the insurance companies about what happened when people had car accidents. The first one says this, I thought my window was down, but I found out it was closed when I put my head through it. Ouch. I like this one. The guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I did it. I like this one. I pulled away from the side of the road glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. <laughs> whoa, wait, wait, whoa. I like this one. I've been driving for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. There's something about comma placements and sentence structure right there. You get, I've been driving for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. accident. Now this one, I almost couldn't share this one in the first service. I could not get through it. I was on my way to the doctor. <laughs> I'll start over. I was on my way to the doctor with rear-end trouble when my universal joint gave way, causing me to have an accident. <laughs> the question is, what kind of accident did you have? How about this one? An invisible car came out of nowhere, struck my car, and vanished. And lastly... The indirect cause of the accident was a little guy in a small car with a big mouth. <laughs> I love that. As we get into the Word today, we're going to have the opportunity to see that we as human beings, we, we like to present our case. And many times our case isn't to, you know, say, here's my sin and this is what I've done and I need a Savior. But our case is, God, look at all my merit. Look at all that I do for you. Look at my background, look at my upbringing, look at my goodness and how good I've been. And then based upon that, Lord, everything should be good between us. That's human nature. I think it's interesting that a number of studies have been done, even among Christians in the U.S. And when the question is asked simply this, how is a person made right with God? And how will you know whether or not you get to heaven when you die? The answer among God's people overwhelmingly is not. 
the work of Jesus Christ and the grace of Jesus Christ and by simple childlike faith in that work, the answer overwhelmingly is I'm counting on the fact that I've been good enough to kind of outweigh my bad works, right? The bad things I've done. I'm counting on the fact that my own goodness is going to make me okay with God. And today, I really want to take that on. I want to challenge that idea, and I, I hope we're able to expose that thing within each of us that tries to self-justify and present our case before God. My text is Philippians 3, 1 through 11, and uh, it's, a, it's a pretty long text. Let's read it and, and listen carefully. Uh, do our best to kind of absorb it. I know sometimes when we read scripture, we're reading an ancient document, an ancient letter written by a man in a different context, and we often have a hard time understanding it through modern ears and modern eyes. We try to understand it, and as you do, I'll give you a little bit of explanation as we get a little bit more in-depth into the text. But verse 1, chapter 3 says this, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Amen? I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised and be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I partially persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Now, as we get into the background of this text, I think it's really important to lay this foundation, uh, again, because we live in a different time, and we need to understand the text within the context. But here's the text within the context. At that time, in the city of Philippi, and throughout much of the Roman Empire, there were teachers. These were Jewish teachers who had put faith in Jesus Christ, and yet refused to let go of the Mosaic Law and the requirements of the law. They refused to say that a person was saved by faith in Jesus alone, by, by grace through faith in Jesus alone. And they loved to add to the salvation requirements, to being right with God in relation to God, the idea that you must be circumcised and observe the feasts and follow the Sabbaths, and that everybody was required to do that. 
So they were circulating through the churches and they were sharing this doctrine. And they were telling people that were non-Jews, what the Bible often calls Gentiles, they were telling these people that weren't Jewish, in order for you to be right with God, and for you to have entrance into God, you must be circumcised. The men only, of course. All the ladies were like, yeah, hello. Uh, you must be circumcised. And they were actually saying that non-Jewish men, at whatever age in life they were, had to be circumcised, and follow the rest of the laws of God in order for them to be right with God. Now Paul, who is Jewish and is actually among the most strict, in a group of the most strict Jews at that time, says this is all false teaching, false doctrine, and wrong, and he begins to lay out that case. What I want to look at today in the way we apply the text is that all of us in the time that we live also come up with our own set of requirements for what it takes for people to be right with God. See, it wasn't just an ancient heresy. It wasn't just an ancient false way. Many of us add to the gospel in order to make people feel like they can be a part. We add our own lists. We add our own requirements. And in so doing, we take away from the beauty of the cross and the glory of what Jesus did, and we give glory back to human beings and our own ability to self-justify. And that's what we're going to look at. So my first point is a simple one, and, and it's going to start with, um, with what Paul says in the first sentence, and that is, no matter what happens, you can rejoice in the Lord. Paul says right there in the opening verse, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And I just wrote down this phrase, to rejoice is your choice. Amen? To rejoice is your choice. Once again, Paul challenges his church family to rejoice. We've been learning in the past weeks that the word joy and the word rejoice are a common theme throughout Philippians. In fact, if you could find a key word for Philippians, here it is. A key thought for Philippians, here it is. No matter what you go through, no matter what suffering you experience, in Christ, because of what he's done, you have the power to have joy, to maintain your joy in God. So Paul tells them, whatever happens, to rejoice is your choice. Paul's not counting suffering, discounting, excuse me. He's not discounting suffering or pain. He's not saying to the church, listen, your pain isn't real. Your suffering isn't real. Your persecution isn't real. He's not saying that, but he's saying right in the midst of your suffering, right in the midst of your pain, it's possible to concentrate your attention on the goodness of God and still rejoice. How many of you have found in your own life to rejoice as a choice? Right? I mean, I've learned this as I walk with Jesus Christ. I've learned that if I let circumstances dictate the state of my mind and heart, and if I let what's happening around me dictate that, I'm going to live in depression. I'm going to live in discouragement. I'm going to want to quit all the time. Because life is hard. No matter what anybody tells you, you're not going to build your own personal utopia. You're not going to bring your own personal paradise to this earth. We live in a, on a fallen planet, and each of us deal with the fallenness, the sin within us, the battles within us. And we know, right in our own soul, we know it's a struggle on this planet. We watch TV, we look around us at the society around us, right here in Moses Lake. We've got drive-bys, and we've got addictions, but more than that, you've got the anger in your own heart that expresses itself at that moment that person cuts you off, 
up on the road, right? You know what's going on inside you. You know about the battle with lust and covetousness and all and pride and all the rest of it. You know the struggle within your own soul. And so, in the midst of that, or in the midst of, of suffering, in the midst of going through difficult situations in your marriage, on your job, being falsely accused, having people that should love you, not love you, in the midst of that rejection and that betrayal, to rejoice is a choice. Again, it doesn't take anything away from the fact that we suffer and we hurt. God can take it. He can take our suffering. He can take our burdens. I shared last week, as David wrote in the Psalms, he, he, he many times expressed to God, his struggles. He said, God, why does it seem like everybody's forsaken me? My family, my friends have left me. I'm surrounded on every side by enemies. It seems like you're not with me. Where are you, God? Nevertheless, I will praise you. I will thank you, O oh God. So he understood to rejoice is a choice. And that's what he's telling the people here. Listen, to rejoice is your choice. Take time in the middle of whatever circumstance you're going through and remember that regardless of how bad your circumstances are, there is a God in heaven, but more than that, there is a God that is present in you and in your life right now. And he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never turn his back on you. He's not a fair-weather friend. He's a faithful father. Amen. Secondly, human efforts cannot make you right with God. I'm going to spend a lot of time here Human efforts cannot make you right with God. So Paul then launches into some heavy-duty charges. He, he says, watch out for those dogs. What? They call them. Watch out for those people who do evil. Those mutilators, he calls them. And then after saying all that, he says, we rely on what Christ has done. We put no confidence in human efforts. Though I could. He said, if anybody can be confident in human efforts, I can be confident. And he goes on and he lays out this long list of all of his qualifications. What's he say? He says, you know, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. That is, that's when you're supposed to be circumcised if you're a Jew. That's orthodoxy. That's perfection. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin. If you know anything about the history of the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin was very blessed by God and did a number of amazing things. So he says, I'm a real Hebrew. I was a member of the Pharisees, the strictest, strictest sect within Judaism at that time. And, and listen, I obeyed the law, and I was so zealous, I persecuted Christians. He was wearing that as a badge. Because at that time, you know, among his people... The Christians were a false group. And he's saying, man, I was on that bandwagon. And then he says, none of it counted. None of it mattered. And the point he's making is to watch out for those who try to add to what Jesus has done for you. Watch out for those who try to add. He's, he's addressing circumcision as the entry point into the life with God. Jewish Christians could not let go of this requirement to be circumcised. And they thought, if you're not circumcised, you can't be a part of the community of faith. These false teachers, they followed him everywhere. Paul, everywhere he went, trying to convince his converts that they needed to be circumcised and follow the law. And Paul calls them dogs. Why? Because those that particular sect of, of Judaism called anybody who was not a Jew and not circumcised a dog. He said they were less than. They were outside and Paul is turning the tables on him. And he's saying, actually, guys, the truth is, if anybody is outside of the covenant of God, it's those who would add to what Jesus has done. Anybody who would say, it is finished on a cross, anybody who would say that's not enough, 
Anybody that would try to add to the requirement of knowing Jesus Christ, you're the dog. And not, not just that, but if you know anything about dogs in the ancient world, there were some pet dogs, but, but a lot of times dogs ran wild. And they went around barking and biting and carrying diseases. And that's what these dogs were doing. They followed Paul everywhere, nipping at his heels, biting at his heels, barking all the time with their false doctrine and carrying the disease of a false doctrine that said, Jesus isn't enough, you need to do more. They challenged that, and Paul challenged that. And then he says they're evil because they're trying to nullify or weaken the good news about Jesus. They're taken away from the beauty of it. And he calls them mutilators because they wanted to circumcise men for no benefit at all. Paul said, listen, circumcision doesn't mean anything. It has no benefit. You don't have to be circumcised to walk with God. I know for us that sounds so foreign, but you have to understand in that time, that was a huge, huge issue that came up everywhere Paul went. I want you to think about your own life. One of the greatest obstacles, this is from the ESV study Bible, one of the greatest obstacles to applying the gospel to ourselves is our human tendency to depend on our own resources. When we take serious stock of our lives in light of the gospel, we realize that we must repent not only for our sins, but also for the achievements that we would use to justify ourselves before God. Whoa. So then he goes on to say this, your religious heritage or your good works count for nothing. He lays out the most impressive list of his own Jewish background and his claims to being the special and chosen people of God. And he says, look, this is all impressive. My circumcision, my tribe, my sect, my obedience, my persecution of the Christians. And then ultimately he says, but you know what it's worth? Excrement. Rotting garbage. The Greek word there, garbage, is the word poop. I could use another word. He's saying all that you count on to justify yourself in the presence of God compared to what Jesus has done is poop. Rotting garbage. Now I want you to think about that. I'm going to apply it here in your own life in a minute. Some of you are going to be like, ouch. So, he's saying, you know, Many of us have our lists. Many of us have our heritage. Many of us have our background, right? Many of us come from backgrounds where we were raised in the church. Or, or here's one for you. Some people think that because they're Americans, they're part of a special chosen people. I'm going to challenge something here that I, I see happening in a lot of the church even right now. It seems like politically these lines have been drawn. I want you to think about something with me. If you've embraced a form of Christianity that is nationalistic in nature and says, because I'm American, I'm Christian, and God has put a special blessing on our country, and our country is blessed above all the other countries of the world because we had a Christian heritage with a Christian background, and therefore God is with America. He's with America in our wars. He's with America when we go out into the earth. He's with America in all the things we do in foreign policy. God's on our side. If you've embraced that gospel, you've embraced a false nationalistic gospel that has been used over and over throughout history and has only caused pain and damage wherever it's been preached. That's not the gospel of the New Testament. And yet many people think that because I'm American, I'm blessed. No, you're not. Let me tell you something else about America. The number one purveyor of pornography on planet Earth. 
the number one purveyor of many evils on planet Earth. If there was ever a country that needs the redemptive touch of God, it's our country right now. We are in need of amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We have no stand before God. We have no merit. We can't stand as a nation and say, hey, God's will America. We can't do that. God's not with us if we're not with him. Right? So the truth of the matter is, every nation, every kindred, every tribe, every tongue, every ethnicity, every nationality, every individual needs the saving grace of Jesus now and continually. There are no special chosen people groups anymore. There's one kingdom of God in the earth that pervades every society and every single nation on earth. It's called the kingdom of God. It's made up of people who are like leaven in a loaf of bread and they're working their way through every society and it's the only kingdom that will stand in the midst of every other kingdom that falls. If there's anything we can learn from history, it's that all great civilizations eventually end up in the dustbin, especially if they become proud. Let us beware. Let us be humble. Let us be repentant. Amen? Or maybe our background is we were raised in the church. We were raised as Christians. We came up in a good home and we were taught the right way. And, um, you know, we, we go to church every week. We pay our time. We go to special prayer meetings. If there's a women's meeting, I'm there. If there's a men's meeting, I'm there. If there's a youth meeting, I'm there. We've been raised in the church. We've been raised in this background. And somewhere in the midst of all that, without realizing it, we've taken on the idea that our righteousness stands in all we've done for God. Right? So we, we're like, you know, I'm a Christian by osmosis. I'm a Christian by default. I'm a Christian because I was raised in a Christian or I'm an adult that's grown up my whole life in the church. I'm good. And, and if you're not careful, you can begin to even kind of look around at society around you. You look around at those other people. You begin to break the world up into us versus them. Right? You begin to think that, you know, we're, we're the righteous and holy good ones. Our family is Christian. But that group out there, and name your group. What group is it? What group is it you struggle with? What group is it, whether it's an ethnicity, whether it's a certain lifestyle. I'm, I'm not saying sin's okay, but I'm saying beware when you in self-righteousness begin to look at any group. You know, in, in some people's cases, the fact that they're Democrats or Republicans or leftists or right-wingers. You see, when we begin to break up the world and then we make people into systems or groupings, and then we can discount them. We can discount their value and their need for the gospel. We can set them aside and we can say, hey, you know, they're over there. We don't really need to, to, to show love and grace and the gospel, the good news of Jesus to those people. Because it's us, the Christians, raised in righteousness, and it's them, the outsiders. When we begin to do that, we violate the very essence and nature of all that Jesus did. Have you ever noticed that notorious sinners were attracted to Jesus? That term is used in the New Testament, notorious sinners. Have you ever noticed that Jesus fought a lot with religious people? Now why? Why were notorious sinners attracted to him? Was he okay with sin? Was he soft on sin? Never. Jesus was never soft on sin. But you know what Jesus did? Is he forgave people who recognized their brokenness and their need. The reason notorious sinners 
came and were drawn to him is they, they, they saw that in the pure light of who Jesus was, they knew they were sinners and they weren't playing games. They weren't hiding it. They weren't covering it. They're like, here I am, Jesus, in all my nakedness and all my ugliness. Yes, I'm a prostitute. Yes, I'm a tax collector. Yes, I'm an addict. Yes, I'm a, a leper. Yes, I'm the rejected and the marginalized of society. But I'm attracted to you because something about me tells me you know me through and through and you hate what sin has done to me, but you love me. But the self-righteous people who considered their heritage, their religious pedigree, their church background, and people who thought, I'm good with God because I'm part of Abraham's people. I'm part of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Pharisee. I got it made. I was circumcised on the eighth day. People who stood before God in their own rightness and their own goodness were the very ones that they didn't recognize their need. They didn't recognize their need for a savior. They're the very ones that Jesus had their biggest problems with. Because self-righteousness is important to God. You know what self-righteousness says? Jesus, your cross, your death, your sacrifice, your blood, it's meaningless. It doesn't matter. It doesn't count. I'm good. I don't need what you did for me. It's a total rejection of all that Jesus did for all that he does. And so we have to be very careful. Because many of you here, many of us, I'm going to say us, because I don't want to get into us and them. Many of us here, we come up in the church. We got church backgrounds. We're good. Right? We, we've grown up our whole life. We, we give our tithes. We pray. We go to church. We sing on the worship team. We do it all, right? But if we're not careful, we start kind of going, yeah, but those people out there, they're, they're out, and I'm in. And Paul just flips them. Notice this text in Romans 2, 28 and 29. It says, For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you've gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew, do we not have that text? No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, Rather, it is a change of heart produced by God's Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. That's true circumcision. I love this quote by Randy Elkhorn in The Edge of Eternity. He says, those who know their unworthiness seize grace as a hungry man sees his bread. The self-righteous resent grace. Why? Because we like to present our own case. We like to be able to say, I'm good without you, God. I've got this. Right? We like to even, within the context of church life, divide ourselves into different groups. Some who are really holy and good and some who are not. My challenge to us is that we would cling to the gospel. And here's the bummer, is I have to finish right now, and I have a lot more to say. But it's okay. It happened in the first service, too. So I'm going to use this time to come in for a landing. And here's my challenge for you. My challenge for you is what are you basing your rightness before God? What are you basing God embracing you upon? And do you find yourself looking at others as lesser than you because you're so good? Right? I mean, are, are you counting on yourself I hope not. Because if you count on yourself, you're already out. 
The Gentiles completely and fully upon Jesus Christ and what he's done. In your place, Amen? Am I talking to anybody? Yeah? We are good with God because of Jesus alone. Paul goes on to say later, again, I'm not going to get into it, but he goes on to say everything is worthless in comparison to Jesus. Everything else is worthless in comparison to knowing Jesus. And the more you walk with him, the more you come to see him. It's all worthless. All of our accomplishments ultimately are worthless compared to knowing him. And he's done it all, and he's worth it all. Amen? Why don't you stand with me?